0: Welcome to the Author Hangout, where we interview best selling authors and experts in the book publishing industry to reveal the tips and advice you need to succeed as an author in today's publishing landscape. Enjoy the show.
1: Hey there, Sean Manaher here. Welcome to another episode of The Author Hangout, where authors like you learn how to sell more books through the lessons, experience, and wisdom from their fellow authors. This is Sean Manaher with a replay episode from none other than Hugh Howie. And man, this episode is from a couple years ago, and as I listened through it, Number one, I had to laugh at how crazy and different the show is and how that's transformed. But of all the information, more importantly, that Hugh shared that was still so relevant to today's publishing, self-publishing world. So in this episode, we're going to be learning about what the real story of self-publishing should be. Do self-published authors earn money doing it? And the four things that Hugh would do if he were starting all over again, he talks about the long view of writing, talking about how much authors actually earn compared to traditionally published, just mind-blowing. And we talk about a couple more things, why optimal pricing is good in the new normal, the future of self-publishing. Listen in to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. We'll catch you at the end. Hugh, so glad to have you on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. We're we're going to just run through it. We have about 100 questions for you. We, you know, <laughs> we have all the time in the world, apparently. But um, no, seriously, really glad to have you on the show. I know that RJ, and uh, for those that have not seen the show before, this is RJ's first time being on the show. I wish we had one of those an- an- animations for clapping. But glad hey, to have you on the show, too, RJ.
2: Hey, guys. Glad to be on here.
1: And we'll get right into it. Hugh... For, for the two or three people who actually don't know who you are, can you explain your self-published journey a little bit?
0: Yes. I started with a small publisher with my first book, and and this was back in 2009, and decided to self-publish my second book, and I've been doing that ever since, and uh, just worked at a bookstore and wrote stories on the side, and my, I think it was my seventh or eighth published uh, work took off and allowed me to quit my day job, and I've uh, been just... Uh, writing and traveling to support the, the book and the publishers around the world. have picked it up since, and uh, I blogged my thoughts on publishing, but I've, I've been doing that for a long time, since I was a bookseller. It's just uh, now I've got two or three people who actually come onto my website and read my um, bad ideas.
2: What kind of books do you write? Uh, a little of everything. I've written
0: um, horror, uh, young adult, space opera, dystopian children's picture books. Um, I helped with the uh, graphic novel adaptation of Wool. Um, I'm writing a romance novel right now, so I like all kinds of books as a reader, so I'm excited to um, have the freedom to write whatever I want. I get pressure from my publishers to write books that are identical to the last thing that sold really well, but I I get to ignore that and just write the stories that I want to read.
2: Yeah, you mentioned that you're working on a romance novel. How did that... Come about?
0: It's an idea for a story I've had for a long time, and you know, to be honest, most of my stories have romance in them. Um, I, I don't know that if, if you could write a successful story without some kind of love interest, because um, yeah. you're writing about you know people, and it's like the central focus for a lot of people's lives is their their partner, or the search of a partner, or the loss of a partner. So you know, Wool, the Plagiarist, the Fied Series, the Hurricane—they all have a romance at the center of them. I think what makes what I'm writing now uh, what I would consider a romance novel is that the romance is the plot rather than a a central theme within the plot. And I think romance novels have to have a happy ending. I think it's just part of, of what the readers expect when they pick up a a romance novel. Otherwise, you know, it might be a a good work of, of literary fiction with a romance, but then has something sad at the end. So it's not too big of a stretch for me to write this. It's, um, Similar to other works I've read, it's just um, a written. It's just making the that the, these two characters and their feelings towards each other the central theme.
1: Did you read a lot of romance romance novels and have favorite authors over the last number of years that you said, you know what, I, I really like this this romance author to inspire you?
0: No, I try not to read within the genres that I'm writing. I, I worry. More about it closing me off to things than it inspiring something. If I see anything similar in another work, then it if I have an idea that's similar to that, then I I have a hard time publishing it. So, um, uh, you know, I, I draw I draw on the my favorite works um, from uh, just being a reader. Um, in in high school, one of my favorite reads was Jane Eyre, and I went on to read it a couple more times while I was in college and afterward, and uh, that's the kind of romance story that I like. I'll draw on those sources and books that I've read over the years as uh, as inspiration, but I don't want to read things within the genre and try to copy or emulate anything. I just want to write the story that I would want as a
1: reader. So th- so this summer, uh, you spoke at Romance Writers of America, and uh, yeah. what was that panel entitled?
0: It was called um, like Lessons from an Outlier or something like that, which I didn't come up with the panel idea. They They put me on it. They invited me to RWA, and I, I showed up. And I, you know, to be honest, I don't like the uh, the focus on outliers, and I, I didn't really like the, uh, the the title of that panel, so I deflect a lot of the questions. I would rather talk about the people who are changing their lives with self-publishing without having to be in the top one percent of one percent. I was happy as a self-published author when I was working in a bookstore, just making my works available and finding readers a dozen at a time before took off. I'd sold 5,000 books over a two-and-a-half-year period, over six or seven titles, and I was thrilled with that, to, to mm-hmm. get emails from people all around the world. And I know people now who are having, with their first book, having similar success, you know, and they, they agonize over, I've only sold 5,000 books, and I'm thinking, like, that's more that's more books than I ever dreamed of selling when I started off. So, I think that's those are the stories that I like and the things that I want to celebrate about the ability to reach readers directly. There's a lot of people out there making a living, making enough money uh, to for it to qualify as a side job, and they're not outliers. They're people who have dedicated themselves to uh, the craft of writing, and they keep publishing quality material, and, and it's changing their lives.
1: Yeah, and obviously um, they're playing off of Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, and, and, and even in that, I... Is it is it just you think it's just humanity always wanting to to look at one person and say oh man they're they're the outliers is, is that the push why people might come to somebody like yourself who's seen had some success and say well he's he's the outlier
0: yeah I think it's a natural I think it's a natural inclination when I started getting contacts from the media uh, three years ago my response was like y'all you should have contacted me uh, four or five months ago my life was much more interesting then. Um, because now it's, you know, being struck by lightning is something you don't have control over, and you know, it makes the news, but it's the people who write every single day and grind it out and produce quality works and get fan mail and and get real sales, and it starts paying uh, a utility bill every month. To me, that's the interesting story. So I've tried to direct people, uh, you know, NPR got in touch with me a couple weeks ago, and I said the person you want to talk to is this guy, and, and pass them along to someone else who they interviewed, and you know, CBS came to do a TV show about me a couple of years ago, and I, I, there was a couple sitting right beside me that had a much better story. And it's been part of my, you know, it's a piece I wrote for Solana a while back, too, about this, about the real story of self-publishing, and it's not people like me. It's people that you've never heard of, and their lives have been changed by the democratization of literature. That story is finally starting to get out a, a little bit at a time but uh, I'm much more interested in that than, than The Outliers.
2: Earlier in 2014, you rocked the publishing world with your uh, author earnings report. Can you tell us a little bit about what your hopes were with releasing that report, what your findings were, and how it's kind of evolved throughout the year?
0: Part of that Combating the Outliers dialogue, a couple years ago, I I started casting out to hear from other writers who've had success at various levels of self-publishing. I want to hear how many people had... Um, sold two hundred, five hundred dollars a month, you know, with their with their e and I got a flood of responses, hundreds, uh, in a thread, private messages, emails. Now it's, um, I've heard from thousands of people who've had this level of success um, from self-publishing. So when uh, a researcher wrote a uh, program and did some data analysis about Amazon book data and all their subcategories, all their bestseller lists, when they saw the results. Uh, they realized that this was a big story and sent me uh, a copy of the preliminary data and said hey i think this is the story that you, that you've been trying to tell um, how can we get this out there and and we decided to start a website to catalog our our findings and what we found was that you know amazon had already announced that like 25% of their top 100 selling books you know in, in 2012 were self published Everyone calls these um, exceptions, and and what the data shows is that we can now count, like, 120,000 books. So It's a a massive sample, and it's every book that's ranked on Amazon on any subcategory list or sub-subcategory. So we're gathering that many books, and we're able to say, like, hey, 30-plus percent of them are self-published. These aren't exceptions. It goes all the way down. We're also able to look at the average ranking of these books – and it doesn't matter what sales uh, per day you assume for each ranking because they're evenly distributed. So however you affect, you know, self-published books, you affect all the other books as well. It's like uh, raisins interspersed in a muffin. You know, you can make the muffin bigger or smaller, but the distribution of raisins is going is to uh, expand accordingly.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So however you tweak these numbers... Knowing the, the sales price and what the royalty rate is for uh, self published authors and traditionally published authors, we were able to find that every day, every day that we've looked, and we've now done uh, four or five snapshots over um, a six month period, self published authors are bringing in more daily royalties on ebooks than all the authors from the big five publishers combined. Mm. This is massive. I mean, people said before that self publishing success was only 99 cent ebooks, it was only a handful of people at the very top. They don't sell well in the midless or farther down, and we uh, the, the data it dispels all of those uh, ideas.
2: So, has there been any backlash from this? It, it seems counter to what most of the news reports and everything has. There, have you experienced any backlash?
0: Yeah, but but only from people who are trying to sell competing data. Um, we've we've seen um, Philip Jones, who is um, has. Connections, you know, and, and past employment with Nielsen Bookscan has been very critical of this data. Um, Nielsen Bookscan sells data that tracks ISBNs that only captures, you know, sixty seventy percent of the market a- of print and captures none of the self-published market that doesn't use ISBNs. I don't uh, buy ISBNs from Bowker. so you know there's millions of sales uh, captured by me. I know a lot of self-published authors don't use ISBNs, so you know their industry is being upturned and they're very angry about that and. So they're, you know, they've they've lashed out, um, and people at uh, Digital Book World that they've sold, you know, self-selected surveys from uh, people who a lot of them haven't even completed their first book, and they've tried to sell these this uh, really bad survey data to publishers for three hundred dollars a pop, and oh. they're angry. You know, they've had every every employer associated with them has come at the report, but uh, their none of their criticisms hold any water. We've um, We've done everything we can to break the data. We've taken people that we uh, are pretty sure are self-published authors out of the self-published category uh, because they publish under LLCs. And unless we go through and, and hand and hand-check each one, we don't add them in. Uh, we make assumptions about how much Amazon takes from publishers that we think is lower than reality. So we've done everything we can to handicap self-published authors and give traditionally published authors like every single benefit. Uh, we even played with um, assuming that Amazon makes no money from their traditionally published books, that they send every dollar to the traditional publishers and it still doesn't break our conclusions. So there's really no way to argue with, with the data uh, unless you're being financially impacted by it. And then, of course, you're going to go into histrionics.
1: Yeah. How does that help the individual author to understand this? And, and th- this is all found at authorearnings.com, is that right?
0: Yeah, authorearnings.com. Um well, you know, I, a lot of authors were in the situation that I was in back in 2009 where I, you know, I had an offer for, for my second book from the publisher, and I enjoyed the process with the first book, but I, I saw what, where the future was heading and that these books were never going to go out of print, that I was going to be responsible for every sale, and that I wasn't making a fair percentage of the proceeds. You know, the, the publishers, their offices are in Midtown Manhattan. The people that work there, these are really, I've been in these buildings, are really nice. It's really expensive real estate. The people who work there have health insurance and nice salaries, and they have uh, a job year after year after year. Um, whereas you know authors get dropped if their book doesn't perform. They don't have benefits and health um, and health coverage. Um, they're paid twelve and a half to seventeen percent, um, where the retailer and the publisher are making a lot more. And without us, there are no books. And you when know, I realized a long time ago that we're paying basically like an 85% loan. We're taking an 85% loan uh, or loan with 85% interest uh, for services that are one-time services. So Mm -hmm. I decided to pay a cover artist, pay uh, an editor, pay a formatter, put the book out there and own the rights. I can move it if a retailer has policies I don't agree with or they uh, change their terms of condition on me. I, I have complete control. And the level of satisfaction that comes from that is to me, even greater than the financial benefits of self-publishing. Having that power of self-actualization, its you can't describe the difference it feels when you go from a publisher where you have to email or call to try to get one thing tweaked. And being able to just do it yourself, it's its an amazing feeling. And it's not like a, you don't have a team. You, know, you just have a team that you get to choose. I get to work with the editors and cover artists and formatters that I enjoy working with, not the ones that I'm assigned to.
2: In the July 2014 report, you found some interesting data about using DRM or whether you should not use it. Can you explain what DRM is to our listeners and what your findings were about using it?
0: Yeah, so DRM stands for Digital Rights Management, and it's the um, encryption that you put on any electronic form of entertainment. You know, Music has dealt with the DRM issue, uh, movies, TV shows, video games, so it's a, it's a big issue. It's been a big issue with video gamers who have Often said that if you get rid of DRM, we'll support, you know, we'll buy even more of those games, and the companies that have experimented with that have had pretty phenomenal success. What we found, we looked at, we can look at books that have DRM and those that don't. We found the ones without DRM are outselling the ones with DRM at uh, at every price point. I don't know that 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 correlation is causation. Uh, I think what it tells us is that DRM is not going to hurt your sales, or, or not having DRM is not going to hurt your sales. But it could be that the people who are the savviest in other ways are also savvy when it comes to not hurting their their consumer. The, it, this hurts the readers who just want to be able to move the file around and read it wherever they want to. The hackers can bypass DRM with a couple of clicks, and your book is going to get pirated anyway. And if it's not getting pirated, it's, that's a bad sign. It means no one wants to read it. There's no demand for it. Yeah. Um, I used to I used to agonize over the fact that I couldn't find my Ebooks on piracy sites, and once I was once they started showing up, I saw that as a really good sign that I was starting to get get some traction and a readership.
1: So, in that same uh, report in July, uh, you had some findings regarding like the genres one uh, writes in. Uh, what did you discover there?
0: Well, the you know you, you asked earlier what we hoped the result would be of authornews.com before the, result, the report came out there was just one attack on self-publishing after another coming from the traditional side. We heard that, um, you know, self-publishing is like a volcano of of shit spewing everywhere. We heard Mm -hmm. that uh, we're third-class cattle. We heard that, you know, only people who are rejected from publishers do this. There were just one report after another. When we put out, uh, when we saw the results from authors, we were like, look, all these all these people can say whatever they want, but readers are choosing to read these books and writers are publishing them and everyone's benefiting from this. And as soon as we publish it, like a lot of that rhetoric just disappeared. And where we are now, six months later, is, is the same people, you uh, have traditional publishers saying that self-publishing is no better than traditional publishing. And like just pause to, to consider how far we've come in just half a year. If you self-published, you were... Um, you were a you you were third class cattle, you were dragged you were spewing shit, and now um anyone claiming that self publishing is better like no, no, okay, it might be just as good that mm. 's not better than traditional publishing traditional and now we have stories like traditional publishers still have something to offer authors like the the change in tone is just remarkable, and I think it better reflects the reality of what publishers do offer when you look at how much they pay so one of the few, yes, about the genres in this new report, one of the few things they, they can still cling to is that it's only romance, it's only science fiction. Well, this report blows that out of the water. It shows that the reason people say that is because uh, self-publishing is utterly dominating those, those genres. But in every other genre, self-publishing has made incredible inroads, uh, even in literary fiction, in children's books in nonfiction, fiction in mystery and, and thriller and suspense, which is the number one genre for traditionally published books. So the advantages of self-publishing and the economics work regardless of genre. What we've seen is the readers want a lot more of certain books than they do others. Mm-hmm. Traditionally published, uh, traditional publishing houses have not served that demand. and That's left a huge pent-up demand that self-published authors are tapping into. I don't think we'll ever see editors publish as many romance books as readers want because they have their own taste and they really wish people were reading more literary fiction. As someone who reads literary fiction, I understand that impulse. I just can't imagine trying to voice my taste onto the larger public. I I would publish the things that I was passionate about, but I would make sure that I published as much of what readers wanted as they could possibly consume.
1: So beyond what you've you've created so far with uh, the authorearnings.com, what kind of data and stats will you be looking for in future reports?
0: Uh, well, we try to do something different with every report. So we're uh, with each report, we do the same snapshot of percentages of number of titles on the bestseller list, which anyone with a pencil and a browser could do. This um, it's not uh, disputable. It's it's a count of the of who published how many books on on these bestseller lists, and now we're counting. Uh, 120,000 deep, which is a massive sample size. No one else is doing anything like this. Um, We're also looking um, at the uh, daily sales rate, which we know from knowing what uh, daily sales rate puts you at what ranking on Amazon. Um, That gives us the gross earnings for each book and also the gross income to the author because we know what self-published authors make and traditionally published uh, authors are getting a lockstep 25%. We know Amazon published Imprint print authors generally get 35 gross or 50% of net, so we, uh, we can make really good calculations for those things. So those are the same. Every time we do a report, we try to look at something different, whether it's you know the date of publication. We can look at tenured authors versus newer authors, mm-hmm. and there's some fascinating results there. Um, 63% of, of, of the Big Five income comes from authors who debuted before 2009. So mm-hmm. uh-huh. it's the, the big names who have been there for a while that they, publishing and promoting, and their backlist, that those combinations account for 63% of their revenue. So if you're just starting out today, one of our graphs shows you, like, you know, it's, self-publishing is even better for people uh, when they look at the, the disadvantage they have if they aren't in the game from, from before 2009. With future ones, we're going to look at things like Kindle Unlimited and the effect that that has on earnings and ranking. Um, the way that borrows affect ranking will introduce some interesting conversations into, uh, and questions into, the, into our analysis. One of the things we've already looked at is the average royalty paid to self-published authors. It comes out to like $1.98, which is right, very close to what Amazon tries to maintain with its uh, lending library payouts of $2.00. Obviously, Amazon has even better data than we do. they they probably know this is the average average payout for across all self-published books, and they're paying the same amount per borrow that we earn per sale. I think that's very interesting. It also means that our our data won't be uh, disturbed uh, heavily by the the Kindle Unlimited rankings. So, a lot of interesting things going forward. We're always trying to figure out something new to look at. There's just a lot of data to wade through.
1: What's your what's your take on Kindle Unlimited? Is it is it good for authors? Bad for authors?
0: I think it, I think it'll be good for some authors and bad for some authors. Just like any any change to the system, I think mm-hmm. for a new author starting out. I mean, when I uh, my big breakout came when I joined Kindle uh, KDP Select in 2011, late 2011 when the program first launched, there were a lot of advantages to those uh, five free ebook days that they had. Those advantages have eroded over time, but you know, you, you can opt in for 90 days and then opt out. If I was just starting out today, um, my strategy today, if I was just starting out, would be to write uh, four or five complete works, uh, maybe six, a um, mix of novels and novellas and short stories. And I would publish them in rapid success- succession, and I would go all in with uh, KDP Select. And if I have traction but within 90 days, I would uh, maybe pull out and put my eBooks elsewhere. But, you know, it's, it's no different than the way bookstores would get a book for three to six months, and then once they no longer sell there, they're pulled back, and now they're only through remainder sites or used bookstores or online. We've had windows of opportunity before with different publishing decisions, and I think every author is going to need to try to figure out if the advantages uh, outweigh the disadvantages. People can also decide for each individual book and experiment. I'm not a big fan of all the subscription models in general. I think they pay too much for a read, and they're not sustainable. From the retailer's perspective, I don't understand them. From the reader's perspective, it looks too good to be true. I think retailers shouldn't be doing full payouts for books that are that are not owned, that are only borrowed. I think people feel like they're reading for free, even though they're paying $10 a month, and a lot of them might buy a book that they that they read for free because they want to own it. I know I've done that before with the mm-hmm. um, Kindle Lending Library books. I don't understand the full payout to traditionally published books with subscription models. I also don't understand the fear of being read I promote my books being pirated. I, I love doing the giveaways. I give my, the book that allowed me to quit my day job is now permanently free, and it leads to sales. And so, these are even better than free giveaways. These are they feel free to the reader, but you're getting paid two dollars per borrow. So I, I'm not sure I understand the fear from the writer's side.
2: You mentioned some of the advantages and disadvantages. What what do you think those are about using Kindle Unlimited, especially for like the, the author who isn't. Earning a lot, who is just starting, who is still trying to find their readership.
0: Well, the disadvantage is the exclusivity requirement. It means not having your your ebook elsewhere. The advantage is the increased um, visibility. You know, there are limited right now. You don't have a lot of traditionally published books in that system. So, and readers can sign up for a free month trial of Kindle Unlimited. So, if you're a writer and you're just starting out, you publish a book to the system, you can share the link and it's hard to ask people to spend their hard earned money on a on a writer that they've never heard of. But if you can say, hey, you know, go to this page, click here, you can read my book for free if you don't like it, you can opt out of their program or you can see what other books they have to offer. So there are some marketing opportunities there. The same thing will not work for every writer, so I'm really hesitant to say like this worked for me, everyone should try it. I think Everyone should experiment, do what they're comfortable with, do what their heart tells them to do, see what works and see what doesn't, and get as many opinions as possible. Don't just listen to one guru and try to do whatever they did.
2: Why do you think authors are so hesitant to experiment with stuff like Kindle Unlimited and seeing if it works or not and spending that two or three months that it might take to learn if it works or not? I don't know. It's, you know, it's
0: interesting how impatient we are with our with our book decisions. I mean, 90 days is a very short period of time. I worked in bookstores, where the system was glacial compared to what self-published authors get to do. Uh, we can change book covers overnight. We can you know fix a typo. We can pull a book down or move it to another retailer. We can publish in a weekend. I think another part is everyone seems to think there's this gold rush going on, and that if we don't make the right decision right now, we're going to miss our opportunity to break out and, and make a living at this. And I. I think that's a really bad attitude to take into publishing. This is, this is the, new, the new order that's really settling into publishing. If anything, it's, these advantages are just going to increase over time. So if you're just starting out today, still take that 10-year view that I took when I started writing. You're going to write as many books as you can over a 10-year period. You're going to publish them in different ways. And in 10 years, you're going to uh, analyze what worked and didn't work. If that seems like too long of a time, it took a lot of writers 10 years to get their first work out that took that long to do the writing, to get an agent, to get a publishing deal, and to see the book published. So I advise caution and patience and curiosity and go into everything uh, with an open mind and, and try it all, uh, especially things when you own the rights. You're not making any permanent decisions. You can throw something up on a, on a realtor's website and see how it works and change your strategy six months later.
1: And it, it seems like authors do feel there is a gold rush. and is, is it because there's more awareness of self-publishing, and so they're thinking, wow, I I have a bill to pay. Maybe I could write, and then they're rushing, rushing, rushing. They get it through, and they're, they're feeling like they don't have maybe the same opportunity as others, and they see people that are successful. They're like, oh, my gosh, I've I got to do what they're doing, and they rush into things.
0: Yeah, and I think, I think the people who do that... Don't have as good a chance of success. I, th- I feel very fortunate that I was writing in a time where there wasn't this success. I had, you know, so I had so many novels written and published before all this took off. So I had a backlist, and I think if people think of their writing as backlist rather than frontlist, that's a huge advantage. You know, when I'm writing a book now, I'm not writing it thinking like I got to get this book out there and get it selling now. I'm writing a book and I'm thinking wow, 10 years from now, someone's going to read this book and it's going to buy me a cup of coffee. I keep my expectations really low and I stay as um, grounded as I can with the potential of everything that I write. And I think, you know, only a handful of people are going to read this and they're going to read it years from now. And that allows me to, like, slow my thought process and my my own internal pace as I'm sitting down to write in the morning. There's no, like, this needs to be out by November. The person who's going to enjoy this book isn't even born yet. I really think it's a huge advantage to think that way. I think you write better prose. I think you think about your plot and you structure your book more thoughtfully, and you can walk around daydreaming about your book and your characters and putting your book together instead of daydreaming about how quickly you're going to publish and how much money you're going to make. Uh, something I'm going to blog about soon, Liliana Hart, uh, one of my good friends and, and just a dynamite self-publishing success story, she has a uh, an idea that people should publish quite a few books all at the same time, and then release uh, another book a month later. And there's reasons that that works. And a lot of the success we've seen from people that came from traditional publishing has emulated that release cycle, where they had a lot of backlist that they got the rights to, and they got it edited up, and they released it all rapidly. And so I think that quick pace of publication is only possible if you take the long view of the writing process. I don't think there's anything wrong with writing, saying, look, I'm going to write one or two novels a year and I'm going to query them to agents. I'm going to give feedback. Um, it doesn't cost you anything to email your book out to agents, and maybe someone's going to say, "Hey, I love this, and I think I can get it published for you." And you engage in that conversation. Maybe they say this would be good, but I think it'd be better in third person or something. And if maybe you agree, and you decide to do some rewrites. But while you're doing that, you're writing more books. And when you have three or four ready to go, you release them, you know, a week or a month apart and um, and take advantage of the extra visibility you have from, from all those releases. I, I really think the yearly release uh, cycle is, is death for authors, and for some reason that's the cycle that publishers have embraced.
2: So speaking of traditional publishers, um, as we're recording this interview, the traditional publisher, Hachette, is in a <laughs> pretty bitter dispute with Amazon. Can you explain... The, that whole situation and what your thoughts are on this battle, and uh, especially how it affects self-published authors.
0: Well, it's it's great for self-published authors. It's uh, Hachette is fighting for higher ebook prices, and that's the reason e- self-published authors have really been able to uh, to dominate the way they have. And and if you look at our reports, and ebooks, we're as a group we're making more money than than all of the big five combined, and that's uh, because people are are gobbling up our stories at Half and third the price, and we're still making uh, two and three times as much for each sale as uh, as a traditionally published author. Hachette has—they've uh, done this in the past. With uh, they, they colluded with several of their competitors. Uh, eventually, all six of the Big Six got in together. With um, Apple as kind of the ringleader, and and uh, you, this isn't speculation. You can read the emails between their CEOs talking about who's in and who's out, and how they can pressure another person in, and how they can. Cause damage to the people who are holding out, and the goal was to break Amazon's $9.99 price point for eBooks. Uh, publishers want to protect hardback print sales by having $17.99, $19.99 eBook prices, so people don't buy those and buy the hardbacks instead. They used to delay the eBook release the way they do paperbacks, and this is not good for authors. People aren't buying hardback fiction from authors they never heard of. It's death to these debut authors, uh, and publishers are persisting in this lunacy because. The margins on hardbacks are so much better and they're fixated on that. They can make more money selling more books as, as eBooks and paperbacks. They have the mistake of thinking that there's a limited number of people who want to read and that's not the case. We Everyone has to decide what they want to do with their entertainment dollars and if it's a $30 hardback or a, a $12 movie in 3D, a lot of people are who used to read a lot are going to movies or playing video games or doing something else with their time and their money instead. So this uh, debate between Amazon and Hachette now is the same one that was happening in 2010. Amazon thinks that publishers, authors, readers, everyone will be happier, make more money, buy more books at a same price point for eBooks, which is what we used to. You know, they're looking at a price that we used to pay for our uh, paperbacks. So readers certainly uh, seem to agree with Amazon. So you know, I, I don't. I don't trust the opinions of a lot of people on both sides of this debate. I, I, you know, of course, I get. Accused of being a self-published author who um, is taking Amazon's side, I I have 30 over 30 traditionally uh, published uh, book contracts all around the world in over 30 countries. I publish with Simon & Schuster and Random House. I love my relationships with them. Um, I it hurts me to argue for Amazon's side because lower-priced e-books are going to compete with my e-books. I have absolutely makes no sense for me to argue this standpoint except that I'm a book lover and I'm a reader. And I just approach situations with logic. And what Hachette has done in the past, which was illegal, is just as ludicrous as what they're doing now, which is to not negotiate with Amazon and hope they can use their own authors as uh, as shields in this PR war against affordably priced ebooks. It makes absolutely no sense to me. And I, I don't. It, it baffles me that anybody is taking Hachette's side in this at all, especially with the past history of these two companies. It's not like this is happening in a vacuum, or we have to guess which company is lying to us and if their motives are sincere, we have years of behavior to to look at too.
2: So you mentioned that Amazon wants lower prices. Uh, do they have any data or anything that that kind of backs up that the lower price is better for everyone involved?
0: Yeah, and I'm, when I say lower price, I'm I'm obviously talking about um, the the traditionally published ebooks that are at 1499, yeah. 1799. They don't want lower prices. Um, all the way down to free, you know, they, they want to make money as well. Um, what they want is optimal pricing. So self-published authors are getting a lot of pressure to uh, raise the price of their eBooks because because a lot of them sell themselves short um, or try to use really inexpensive pricing as their only uh, advantage. So recently, uh, if you logged into your KDP dashboard to, to set up a new book, Amazon will – Tell you like, hey, most books in this genre sell better at this price, and they're just using all of their data to to help you. And in that case, they're telling the self-published authors you should be charging more. They also just released data and, and just in a letter, uh, an open letter, explaining their negotiation position with the Shed that they have data that at 9.99 ebooks sell enough extra copies to make more money for publishers than they do at 14.99. Uh, not only does it make more money. But it gives you a bigger audience. It gets more people reading. I mean, there's, there's, you know, you can take any argument and go argument ad absurdum, where you exaggerate everything to see what effect it has. And you can do this with ebook prices. If if ebooks cost a thousand dollars and it was impossible to pirate them, there would be zero ebook adoption. I think everybody can agree that not a single person is going to pay a thousand dollars for an ebook.
1: Right.
0: Um, at zero dollars, no one's going to make any money at ebooks. So these are the two. You know, um, absurd positions. Um, so, uh, if those two things are true, then it means that at some point between those two numbers, there's an optimal uh, price window. Um, I don't think it's even $100 at eBooks, would probably still have almost zero eBook adoption. So, we can start to see that, you know, $50, probably still no. At what point do we have optimal eBook adoption? I don't think it's at $20 even. And, and for most readers it's not even $15, um, it's not going to be 99 cents either. So we can rely on Amazon to, instead of just making up a, a number like publishers do, to let's look at the sales data, let's look at what optimizes the reader experience per genre, because they're, they're all treated differently, and let's come up with some rational pricing. What publishers are doing is not pricing to maximize everyone's happiness and income, um, they're also taking into account the relationship with bookstores, uh, I've heard from uh, one of my publishers that they wanted to price an ebook lower, but then they got pressure from a, the bookstore, a major bookstore chain, that said that if you uh, price your ebook there, we're not going to order any copies. And so they're getting strong-armed by other publishing partners, and, and that means we can't just say, "Well, they're going to do what's best for them," and just let them price wherever they want. Mm-hmm. Well, if they're going to price in a way that hurts an author's career to, in order to save a relationship with another retailer. That is not the kind of freedom we want publishers to have. Uh, and no author should want to sign to a contract where they're giving up that freedom.
1: So you talk about the author's career. If you started all over, what would you make sure you do based on what you've learned over the past few years?
0: Boy, I, I, there are some things I would do differently. Um, I didn't. I, I still don't have any self-confidence with my writing or my publishing career. And I, when I started off, my mom asked me, like, uh, you know, I wrote my first rough draft, and she said, God, what are you – do you think you might want to have a career as a writer? And I was like, that's not going to happen. I I hope that over my lifetime, if I write enough books, I'll sell 5,000 copies. That really low expectations had me sell my books short as I published them. Um, I should have hired out the top editing that I could afford, even if that required saving up money the way you save up for a new camera. I mean, there's other hobbies that are far more expensive than writing. So when people say, like, self-published authors... Uh, shouldn't have to pay, you know, two or three thousand dollars to get their book published. This is a product that has the potential to sell for not only the rest of your life, but for lives to come. Investing two or three thousand dollars into a, a work that you believe in and that you love is completely rational. I've got a, a friend who skydives and like a, a parachute, you know, costs more than, than I put into a book, and he owns several for different conditions and different things he wants to do as, as he jumps out of planes and off of cliffs and stuff. So we're not talking about a massive investment if you look at this as a hobby you're passionate about. And I should have invested in better coverage and better editing. I've had to go back and do that since. I should have done eBooks earlier. I waited too late. Uh, I had an author tell me, like, hey, you should be doing this. And it was, like, just last year that I got all my books into eBooks. And, you know, I should have self-published from the beginning. And I, I should have written more books when I was younger and dreamed of writing books but thought that this was inaccessible to me most of my regrets are that I just didn't do more of what I'm doing now.
1: Um, the, the last question that I had is, how do you see the, the world of self-publishing changing in the next few years?
0: I think it's going to become the new normal. I think uh, it's where most careers are going to start. I mean, musicians don't start with, like, the first time you hear their song is it's coming out from a record label. The first time you hear their song, they're playing on a street corner or in a small venue opening for another act and then headlining at a small venue – they have all these stages to their career. And I think the first, I think if you want to find tomorrow's great authors, you might want to go read something on Wattpad today and, and from a 14 year old writer who's just discovering her voice. Um, and, and her first published work is going to be self published. But the work that maybe will go down in history as being like the next great American novel will come out from Simon Schuster uh, 20 years from now. But when you look back at her publishing path, Self-publishing, even if it was a blog, Facebook, you know, all these other forms of, of content creation, are going to have a huge part of of her uh, literary career. I think that's that's what one thing that's going to be different. Uh, the stigma is going to keep falling, and we're going to see other genres, great nonfiction work, great literary fiction work, is going to be self-published as often as it's traditionally published. I think the future of publishing is probably. Instead of having big publishing houses, I think the p- big publishing houses are going to become rights holders for uh, work that they've, they already own. And I think they're big-name authors. who feel beholden to them, will stick with them. But I think more publishing will move to like a boutique agency-type relationship where you have someone like my agent, Kristen Nelson, who will take on authors and match them with editors and cover artists, and the funds for the editing and the cover art will come out of the author's pocket but all the earnings from the book sales will flow to them and maybe that agent publisher gets uh, 15 or twenty percent of the proceeds for for all those works I think you're gonna see that and I think a lot of those agents are going to come from people who had writing careers like I something I might do where I would have my own imprint and just invite people like hey if you want to work with me I'll give you uh, my editorial feedback find cover artists and editors you know and it's not you won't work with everyone because your time limit is so you work with the the books that you're passionate about. And then people will say, you know, if they want a good romance and Bella Andre is not just writing her own books, but she's publishing other people, they know that if they love Bella's work, they're going to love these other authors. And so I think that's something we're going to see a lot of in the future. So everything's going to change. It's um, it's changing in, in other entertainment sectors. So it's going to, it's going to keep changing in, in the world of literature as well.
1: Um. Thanks, Hugh. This has been a, a ton of fun. Uh, where we we'd like to let people know where they can find you, how they can get connected with you. Where do you want them to go today?
0: Um, you know, go to go to authorearnings.com and read those reports. And I blog uh, heavily about my thoughts on publishing for what they're worth. Uh, feel free to ignore everything I say. There's plenty of people out there with different opinions, and it, we'll we'll find out 10 or 15 years from now if anybody got any of it right and how wrong all of us were. But uh, if you go to HughHowey.com, there's a lot of my thoughts there and probably more than anyone should uh, read.
1: Well, talk about a throwback episode of The Author Hangout with Hugh Howey. And listen to that. R.J. Adams pitching in, doing a little bit of interviewing, but the content, obviously you listen to it. All 52 minutes worth and very, as I said, very actionable, relevant to today. And listen, you know, those things that Hugh would do if he were starting all over again, there are a lot of the same things that other authors are talking about writing a lot of books, getting on KDP Select, placing your ebooks elsewhere as you see results, and just publishing rapidly. Those sort of things are what authors are doing today to set themselves apart. And like he said, the new normal for self-publishing, the future of self-publishing, is that people are starting out in using self-publishing as the gateway into their careers as authors. So as you're listening in, what are you doing to really promote yourself, get yourself out there? Are you writing a regular stream of books? Are you waiting for somebody to give you permission to write the next book? Well, don't wait. Start writing it. And oh, by the way, as we close this episode out of The Author Hangout, I want to hear from you. Do you want RJ Adams back? as a interviewer do you want him to share a little bit of his expertise in the book marketing space well if you do i want to hear about it and want rj to get back on only if we hear from people so i need to hear from five of you if you want rj adams coming back as a special guest interviewer with some of these popular and top guests that we have coming on the author hangout well that's a wrap for this episode thank you so much we'll see on the next episode of the author hangout take care
0: Thanks for listening to The Author Hangout. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher to get the new episodes delivered directly to your device. Watch the video from this episode and get the transcript at
1: AuthorHangout.com. The Author Hangout is brought to you by bookmarketingtools.com. Getting reviews for your latest ebook has never been easier. Yeah, you could pay $400 for some review services or try and manage hunting down people to gift your book, track your book, and hopefully get some reviews. Or you could use Reading Deals review program at readingdeals.com reviews to simplify the entire process. Our Amazon compliant, simple and affordable review program puts your book in the hands of our very hungry readers at Reading Deals. Honest reviews, affordable reviews, simplified process. Go to readingdeals.com/reviews for more details.